1: Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks on a Move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today, September 17, means it's episode number 98. Well, just ahead, Facebook and Apple go nose to nose in the battle over consumer privacy. We're gonna hear from Apple CEO, Tim Cook. And the boating lifestyle is hot, but boating inventories are not. And we'll talk about the difficulty of medical device sales during COVID with Bioventus CEO Ken Rielli, really interesting conversation coming up.
2: But first, it's sponsor time. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use, customizable interface. That's ERA, AIERA.com.
1: And there are so many ways to listen to the drill down. We hope you do it every day. Find a way to fit it into your regular schedule. But turn to your smart speaker and say, hey
2: smart speaker play the drill down podcast and the drill down is brought to you by brain trust a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands Braintrust trust has helped clients like bank of america goldman sachs porsche under armor and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost visit braintrust.com that's b-r-a-i-n-t-r-u-s-t.com to learn more well, Corey Johnson, welcome to the Drill Down. We will have the business stories behind some stocks and
1: to move some really interesting stories today, for a change.
2: For a but change, what are you talking about? We are They're joined by it.
1: Isaac Webster, our executive producer, who has the three <laughs> most important business stories of the day. Isaac, what do you got?
2: Uh, let's start with a little Washington news. The Biden administration is preparing an array of actions, including sanctions, to make it harder for hackers to use digital currency to profit from ransomware attacks. Now this is according to people familiar with the matter who were speaking to the Wall Street Journal the Treasury Department plans to impose these sanctions as soon as next week.
1: Well I'm anxious to see what this is. I mean the notion of yeah. using digital currencies for a ransom is about as dumb as it gets because it's it's a lot
2: easier to track, to track digital currencies than anything else. That's the part of that circle that I've never been able to square like why <laughs> would you use that you're you're just leaving your fingerprints everywhere your digital fingerprints if it you're can trying to quick but so, man, hey, we'll see. quick and also quick to find you. So who knows? Uh, number two, shares of U.S. steel are at a two-month low today. And that's on worries. The company's planned addition of new a new steel mill will disrupt the current favorable supply and demand environment and eventually apply downward pressure to steel prices. Most steel companies are also down on the news. This new U.S. steel mill, which is expected to produce 3 million tons a year of flat-rolled steel products – Will increase its will increase its sheet steel production capacity by around twenty percent.
1: Yeah, you've seen iron ore prices coming down in the last week or so. I'm sure that's a part of that. But yeah. uh, um, you know, favorable supply price. You know, <laughs> you know it's a supply and demand uh, uh, balance favorable to whom is always the question, right? I'm sure the people buying exactly. steel and and you know the upward pressure that uh, st- rising steel prices earlier near caused uh, from inflation. Uh, there's a lot of hopes that those might ease and that it was indeed. Mm-hmm. Win for team
2: transitory. <laughs> oh, I like that. We need to make that one of our phrases. A win for team transitory. All right. Now our third story today uh, on Monday, universal a lo- along with we along with the Bitcoin. Fight? We have, we have too we, many of We this. love you,
1: Bitcoin. That one.
2: <laughs> no, we Thank don't you. have a Bitcoin story right now. Thank you. Jared but What Dorsey. we do have is a story about theme parks. On Monday, Universal Beijing Resort will open. It's a multi-billion dollar bet on Chinese consumers' demand for Hollywood experiences. Now, this took two decades to make. That's right, 20 years it took to build Universal Beijing Resort. Uh, and this uh, theme park will have two hotels. And it's a potential growth opportunity for NBC Universal, which, of course, as you probably know, is a, uni- a unit of Comcast, despite the strained relationship between Washington and Beijing. But... 20 years, 20 years to build this thing. So it better be good. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? It's our little company called Facebook. Facebook. I'm not familiar with this company, but I think it trades under FB. Correct. And sh- shares have risen over 40% uh, over the last 12 months, significantly better than the broader indices. What's going on with Facebook? So
1: uh, news today that Facebook has announced some new products and features for uh, companies uh, and it's in, in the, context is their battle with Apple and their battle over privacy. Apple pushing for more ways to, to let users do the things they do online anonymously, which really screws up Facebook's business, which, which aspires to tracking people, not just within Facebook properties, like Instagram, WhatsApp, and Facebook, but outside the Facebook uh, uh, umbrella to other uh, websites across the internet as they people use different apps. And, and Apple's made that a lot more difficult, but Facebook are announcing today they're gonna to add some new ways for businesses to connect with customers, including uh, the ability of a business to start a conversation with a business by clicking on an ad that launches a chat in Messenger or an Instagram Direct or in WhatsApp, uh, depending on where that ad was served. Uh, businesses can also set up their Instagram profiles to let customers launch a WhatsApp chat So it integrates WhatsApp into this sort of commercial thing. And again, the tracking of the customer within Facebook's uh, uh, universe uh, is intensified. Now, earlier this year, Apple actually updated their iOS software and announced that the next version of iOS software would have new privacy features where users would have to uh, opt in to apps' uh, ability to track their data across the Internet. And we don't know, percentage-wise, there's very different numbers out there about how many customers click, don't track me. But it's a lot. Bumble was suggesting that virtually all of their customers would, app, uh, would elect for that. Other companies saying they're seeing less of that. Uh, Apple calls this program ATT, or uh, App Tracking Transparency. Um, it is one of the many things that Apple has been um, championing, that uh, CEO Tim Cook has been championing, very much in the face of the business practices of Facebook. Um, and he actually gave a speech back in January. Apple wouldn't put it on their website until uh, a good week or so later, so it didn't give a ton of attention but Apple CEO Tim Cook he delivered these remarks to a group called the Computer's Privacy and Data Protection Conference uh and he talked you know really um assertively about the importance of privacy and the uh the mendacity of apps like Facebook uh, um services like Facebook like Twitter like YouTube that uh, use algorithms to feed us stuff to get us fired up and ticked off even if that information is inaccurate because it feeds the business model, because it feeds the algorithm. And Tim Cook just finds that uh, dangerous and that privacy and security uh, are right at the, uh, the forefront of protecting us from those um, insidious uh, behaviors of the algorithms. Here's CEO Tim Cook from back in January.
3: See developing these kinds of privacy-centric features and innovations as a core responsibility of our work. We always have, we always will, The fact is that the debate over ATT is a microcosm of a debate we've we've been having for a long time, one where our point of view is very clear. Technology does not need vast troves of personal data stitched together across dozens of websites and apps in order to succeed. Advertising existed and thrived for decades without it. And we're here today because the path of least resistance is rarely the path of wisdom. If a business is built on misleading users, on data exploitation, on choices that are no choices at all, then it does not deserve our praise. It deserves reform. We should not look away from the bigger picture at a moment of rampant disinformation and conspiracy theories juiced by algorithms, we can no longer turn a blind eye to a theory of technology that says all engagement is good engagement, the longer the better, and all with the goal of collecting as much data as possible. Too many are still asking the question, how much can we get away with, when they need to be asking, what are the consequences? What are the consequences of prioritizing conspiracy theories and violent incitement simply because of the high rates of engagement? What are the consequences of not just tolerating but rewarding content that undermines public trust in life-saving vaccinations? What are the consequences of seeing thousands of users join extremist groups and then perpetuating an algorithm that recommends even more? It is long past time to stop pretending that this approach doesn't come with a cost of polarization, of lost trust, and, yes, of violence. So really
1: powerful comments, I thought. Uh, I know it's a long soundbite, but I just, you know, where else do you get to hear that much of that kind of conversation than this podcast? Not a lot of places, but uh, powerful stuff. And it really shows how these technological decisions about algorithms and privacy have an impact on our society. Um, fascinating stuff from It's refreshing
2: you know, to hear it's refreshing to hear that from someone like Tim Cook
1: Yeah and, and look they're, they're yeah. This, this ongoing battle when you see these announcements like we saw from Facebook today that is the context right where you've got Apple on a very different side of things than Facebook trying to manage what people do online and how they do it
2: Corey what is your next drill down
1: Let's look at Mastercraft Boat Holdings which makes the guess what they do? Uh,
2: they make boats, they make Mastercraft boats. Oh, oh, and oh, I see. That's why they must have named it that's that way. That's why one. it's called Mastercraft Oh, I Bo-holdings. get it. Oh, I understand that. Very creative. Uh, the trades under MCFT shares uh, are relatively flat since the start of the year. But if you look at the 12 month gains, shares are up
1: 46%. So uh, the boating lifestyle, that's a phrase I like to use in that industry. Oh, yeah. Um, has just had a fantastic pandemic, if you will. Um, people who couldn't do all sorts of other things, couldn't travel, all the kinds of vacation they might have otherwise done. What they did is they went out and bought boats and they bought boats in size. They bought any kind of boat they could. And that has continued.
2: This is a certain segment of society that Correct. like, yeah. people who Not everybody boats. had the means to go buy a boat.
1: More people bought boats than ever before. This was a well, there, hugely popular. There are lots
2: of rich people out there. Activity
1: um, and uh, middle class people who like boating too. Um, uh, then the boating lifestyle, but in order to make boats, you need the components to make boats. And in their last conference call, the company warned that they were trying to make boats. It was more. It was slower. They couldn't get all the components they wanted. They would have to make put components into the boats or into the engines in, in out of order just because that's what got in the door. The company today warning. They're revising their guidance for the fiscal first quarter of 2022, which is right now, because they had a temporary delay in the shipment of a key component from a single engine parts supplier. And the result is they had to push off these sales to 2022. So uh, they're still talking about fantastic growth, uh, but the actual sales and the time that they can record those sales, is going to happen later. It's a consolidated net sales growth. It's going to be about 30% for the first quarter which the, earlier they'd said it'd be kind of mid 30%. So less growth in the upcoming quarter, uh, but they're reaffirming 2022's full year guidance. So they say it's just going to kind of move from one quarter to the next. Now, usually when a company says that, Corey says, yeah, right. Push off sales a quarter, but don't worry about the end of the year, we'll be fine. But I went back and listened to the last conference call, and they really talked about uh, the fundamental changes that they're seeing uh, from their customer base where people are going into boating stores. And just putting down money saying, I don't care when I can get the boat. I want a boat and I'll pay for it now. And if you got to give it to me next year, I'll take it next year. Uh, here is the uh, chief revenue officer, George Steinberger of uh, of Mastercraft. It's
3: difficult to pinpoint, but, you know, we, what we're seeing and what we're hearing from our
2: dealers is that retail continues to be robust. Consumers continue to be attracted to the boating lifestyle Obviously, with the you know the the resurgence, if you will, of, of the COVID and the Delta variant, um, you know consumers are recognizing that things aren't going to go back to normal anytime soon. And so, um, you know, we've got many consumers that even if they don't have inventory on the ground today, are putting in orders for boats that they're um, they're already pre-buying boats today for t- next summer's selling uh, next summer's boating season. So. Um, you know, I, I think we're not losing much. It's just uh, delaying the, when the consumers get the boats. And uh, we, we, we're hearing from dealers that uh, a high percentage of the boats that they've already been allocated are pre-sold. Um, and so that, that's encouraging to us. And we think that momentum will continue.
1: So that's it. Boats. The boating lifestyle is hot. And, uh, and a slowdown in components isn't slowing sales, uh, they think. And, and they're just slowing when they're going to recognize them. It's a little more believable once we hear that they warned us before that people are putting down money for boats even into next season. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at that massive um, medical
2: device company, uh, Thermo Fisher. Thermo Fisher. Uh, share, trades under TMO. Shares have gained 40% over the past 12 months. What's new with Thermo Fisher?
1: Yeah, I said uh, medical device. It's not quite, I don't know how, what you call this company. They, they provide the stuff that's used uh, in research and laboratories and diagnostics and so on.
2: We've uh, all seen their company. logo. Anytime you go to a doctor's office, you see their yep. logo places, yeah.
1: Well, they had their virtual investor day today. And as we've mm-hmm. talked about before, when investor days, usually people come out of there thinking things are great. This mm-hmm. company keeps raising their guidance and Wall Street keeps doubting them. So they raise their mm-hmm. guidance in July. They raise their guidance again today. Um, and Wall Street has kind of wondered if that's really going to happen. The concern is, again, I don't care about Wall Street, but I want to talk about kind of what's going on with their business. Mm-hmm. These guys saw a big boost in business because of COVID and COVID vaccines in particular. Because among the products they sell, yes, they have life sciences stuff where they sell giant machines like CRISPR gene editing uh, kits and median and reagents and bioreactors and analytical instruments like electron microscopes and chemical analysis and chromatography and mass spectrometry. I mean, mass spectrometry machines, Uh, especially diagnostic stuff, though, got a big boost during COVID. Their laboratory products and services business, which is a $14 billion business, got a big boost because of COVID, selling lab chemicals, lab equipment, consumables, even like research and shipping stuff that these guys do. So the question is, if COVID, as COVID slows down, as the Delta variant peaks, maybe there isn't another huge COVID right behind it, and maybe that's not great for the business of Thermo Fisher. They keep Mm. saying that their business is going to get stronger. They keep raising their guidance. And indeed, uh, here is their CEO, Mark Casper, just a couple hours ago, saying, look, COVID vaccines, that business might tick down. It's going to be replaced by something else. We can already see it coming. Here is uh, Mark Casper this morning.
3: Uh, Starting out with the 2022 and a uh, couple of the assumptions there, you know, in terms of the vaccines and therapy revenue, um, we expect that it will grow uh, in line with the greater growth that we have for next year. And, and over time, as is less demand for the specific COVID revenues uh, for vaccine and therapy, that'll transition to other um, of our customers.
1: So I, I, don't, I don't think he's predicting another pandemic. But he thinks that the business that they've, they've achieved and the customer relationships that they've grown will continue going forward. Um, and don't worry about uh, Thermo Fisher, they'll be just fine. All right, coming up, we're going to stay in the medical field with a really interesting conversation about the process of sales of medical devices and how that has changed during COVID. With a fascinating company that's growing and accelerating that growth, BioVentus,
2: CEO Ken Rielli joins us right after this. The drill down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B R A I N T R U S T.com, to learn more. And The Drill Down
1: is brought to you by Indeed. You pay for a job site, you should know what you're getting. So get Indeed and pay for quality candidates only, candidates who meet your must-have requirements. Don't just hope for the perfect candidates. Indeed's hiring tools will help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. With Indeed Assessments, choose from 135 skill tests to make sure you're finding applications from the people with the skills you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, and one and a half time more hires than even internal referrals. So join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. Great talent is hired fast. So get started right now. Drill down listeners, get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com. That's right, a $75 credit at indeed.com. That's indeed.com. Offer valid through September 30. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down Podcast. Back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're glad to have you. Ken Rielli joins us right now. He is the CEO of BioVentus, joining us from Durham, North Carolina. Uh, Ken, glad to have you. Tell me about your business. How
0: do you guys make money? Uh. Well, we sell medical devices, Corey, uh, to both hospitals as well as physician offices, and uh, we restore patients' lives to active healing. So these might be patients that have osteoarthritis of the knee that are disabled in some way or not able to live an active life, or they've had a fracture that isn't healing, and we're able to, through our stimulation device exogen, restore that fracture and heal it without a surgical procedure. Um, we offer gait restoration devices that post-stroke that allow people to regain and walk normally. Uh, those are some of the things that we do as a company. Uh, but we sell these devices uh, to, um, to providers, to hospitals uh, that utilize them to help their patients.
1: And it seems that there's a sort of a, 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 a fundamental, you know, the, the bone growth or supplementing bone growth is kind of a central component to all that stuff.
0: Yes, a lot of what we do, uh, certainly with our stimulation device, Exogen, and then our bone graft substitutes, which are used in spinal fusion, they are about bone growth. Um, you know, and, and obviously, ultimately, for, for all these patients, I, I would say we're a pain relief company, Corey, so we relieve patients' pain, whether it's because we can help achieve bone growth to to fuse a spine and relieve pain or to heal a fracture and relieve pain, or to um, uh, eliminate pain from osteoarthritis. Uh, All these things uh, in these devices address pain. And by addressing pain, it allows a patient to go back to living an active life, which we as a company feel as an active life, uh, that's a happy life or a happier life. Um, If people can get out and exercise and hike, or, or be with their loved ones in, a, in, a, in the outdoors, for instance, um, those, are, those are things that we're trying to achieve as a company with our devices.
1: And this is all devices, this isn't, this isn't drugs to, per se?
0: No, these are all medical devices classified, they're all FDA approved as medical devices. Um, some are injectables, Corey, like our hyaluronic acid uh, product called Duralane, for instance, which is an injection into the knee for osteoarthritis pain, but it's still regulated by FDA as a as a as a device, medical device.
1: How much is of this is about sort of degeneration and and the joy we're all having of getting old, or how much of this is sports medicine
0: and, and other things like that? Uh, great question. A big part Thank you. of it. That's my job. Yeah, <laughs> a big part of it, Corey. I would say over fifty percent of what we do is in degenerative conditions. Um, that are caused by aging. Uh, So osteoarthritis is a degenerative condition. And with our devices, we really hope to allow patients to continue to be active older in life. Uh, And that's a key mantra that we have. And and that that really excites the company is is we see people 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s that use our products uh, that are able to live more active lives because of that. Uh, other than, you know, having a, a, a more invasive, sometimes surgical procedure, they can use our devices or get an injection of our device like Duralane and and restore and, and eliminate their knee pain so they can continue to be active. And talk to me about the sales process. There, there's
1: a there's a building here in San Francisco, I'm in the San Francisco Ferry Building here at the at the base of the Bay and kind of in the heart of downtown San Francisco. There's a building on Sutter Street, not too far from here. And it is, uh, I don't know, it was all a dozen, maybe 15 stories filled with doctor's offices. And I have never been in that building and not seen someone get into the elevator with a giant suitcase, briefcase like thing full of something that they're going essentially door to door to knock on doctor's doors to sell. And they've got every kind of doctor under the sun there from from plastic surgeons to dentists to osteosurgeons to, you know, or whatever, um, uh, to general practitioners. But I, I wonder, is that how you sell this stuff? You knock on doors and. Show up at doctor's offices and say, we've got
0: the solution to your patient's needs? Sometimes we do. Uh, we have a sales force of about 300 in the United States, and we also sell, of course, around the world. Uh, we have direct sales teams in Canada, UK, and Germany, and then we use distributors elsewhere. But those sales reps will interact with orthopedic surgeons predominantly. That's our predominant call point. And you know the, the surgeons will typically they they look at them as sales reps, yes, but also sometimes as consultants, because if you look at our our salespeople, they see so many different scenarios, clinical scenarios, in say osteoarthritis treatment or in fracture treatment, more so than sometimes the physicians. That the physicians sure. will will engage them and say, hey, do you think uh, your your device Exogen could heal this fracture? And, and that's where the, the rep will weigh in. And the, and the sales rep knows, Corey, in situations, if they say, yeah, it, it, it'll help and it doesn't help, it hurts their credibility. So, so they're very careful when they're in that consulting relationship that they maintain their credibility. So yes, it's sales, sometimes it's out prospecting, but just the other half of it is servicing their, new, their, their existing accounts. And, and it's that fair balance with our sales team. And I suppose I have a friend, and
1: my friend Tim Garman is in medical sales, and he he's also a fantastic beer brewer at the Fairport Brewing Company. Get there quick. But he, <laughs> uh, he also, uh, he's, he actually goes into operating rooms with doctors and, and sees what they're doing. And I mean, he's surely not consulting in the surgery, but he sees what they're doing, and he, and he knows what the best practices
0: are from doctor to doctor and
1: from place to place. So he's really able to kind of share that knowledge.
0: That is correct, and and with our bone graft substitutes products uh, like Osteoamp is one. Our reps are in the in the procedure, uh, making sure that the nurses have what they need. They they deliver it correctly to the doctor, and the device is ready to go when he's ready to implant it. So that's part of the role there. It's a service role in that situation, not a selling role, uh, and that's where this position can be very unique as a sales rep is you're, yep, you, you always have to be prospecting to your point and getting in those elevators, going into those offices, but at the same point, you're also servicing the accounts you have and uh, and being that, con- that consultant or providing that service. I would suppose they also are able to bring back from the field
1: to to BioVentus and say, hey, this this would work better if we did it this way, or I noticed the doctors have to keep going through this extra step. What Can we fix that?
0: Yes, we have a consistent feedback loop here. And obviously with the pandemic, we've had to continue to iterate that. And for a company our size, you know, we're roughly 900 employees and uh, we regard ourselves as being agile, uh, being able to respond quicker than some of our larger competitors. And that's has served us well in the pandemic where we've seen pretty good success with our business um, as we've weathered the storm here, so to speak. And and I think that feedback loop, the responsiveness that we've been able to employ with different new tactics uh, has really resonated.
1: Yeah. Um, you, and well, look, talk to me about that sales process and how that was interrupted by the pandemic and quarantines and so on. We <laughs> yeah. no, Well, there's two, two aspects, right? There's just the things that all of us in any business have gone through during quarantines and so on. Then add to the fact that we saw a huge slowdown in elective surgeries and elective procedures, which 100% is your business. You saw it in You know, you you had year after year after year after year of revenue growth, and it finally uh, fell last year. But, you know, talk to me
0: about how you've managed that and what that looks like. Yeah, it's, you know, and this is a huge credit to our sales team. I mean, last year we got through 2020, we were down 6%, which is remarkable considering the second quarter we really fell off. And that was the quarter, as we all remember, when everything shut down. Uh, We responded back and actually had growth in in three out of the other four quarters in 2020. But how did we do that? Um, We kept our sales team very engaged. Um, And as soon as they were able to go out safely and interact with physicians uh, in the offices and hospitals, they did so. Now, it it was staggered around the country. Um, Some reps instantly by last May or June had full access again other reps, particularly in the Northeast, it wasn't until the fourth quarter um, or early this year that they started getting full access again. Um, largely, what we've seen now is it's back to somewhat of a normalized uh, environment, uh, but we do see some regionalized pressure today on elective procedures because of this Delta variant. Uh, but we, you know, our sales team is is highly motivated, obviously to get in front of customers. And that was the big thing last year, is being able to get in front of enough customers uh, to really make a difference. And that was truncated in the second quarter. We started to see that start to return, Corey, in the third quarter, and it's gotten better ever since. Are you seeing anything
1: stronger than that? I mean, we heard from GreenSky, the company that Goldman Sachs just acquired, that uh, uh, in their last quarterly call, they actually talked about lending for elective procedures and how that was a booming business for them. And I wonder if you're seeing as, as consumer balance sheets are strongly improved, as credit card debt is down, that people are, and, and after a year off, that you, you don't see a resumption back to normal, that you see actually see an acceleration of elective procedures. I wonder if you're seeing the same.
0: It's We, we are in pockets uh, for sure. Uh, we, we think there was a pent up demand earlier this year. Uh, now with the Delta variant, we've seen a little bit of that leveling off. Uh, but clearly uh, if people feel it's safe, uh, they're going to have elective procedures done and and we've seen a strong demand for that. Um, some hospitals just have shut down elective procedures or truncated them. The good news is with our procedures that we're in, they're highly profitable to the hospital. So the hospital wants to restore those from yeah, a business yeah. perspective as soon as they can because, because they're so critical to their P&L. Uh, So we certainly have that on our side overall, and that's been a nice, uh, I would say, tailwind to restoration of the kind of elective procedures that we can support. I would imagine you're also seeing uh, regional differences there in the hospitals in
1: Florida in Louisiana that are just so full of people suffering from the Delta variant of COVID, hospital beds full, ICUs full, emergency rooms full, but a lot of these people refusing to get vaccinations that you're it it's going to be slow, slowing
0: your business down because you just can't get a bed to do the operations. That is correct. That is correct. Now, now, I would say some of what's happened, which is a positive, and a positive for patients, is these are getting moved to the ASC, the Ambulatory Surgical Center. Yeah. Um, so some of the inpatient procedures are now becoming outpatient, which, you know, the patient sometimes has to stay for 24 hours in an outpatient setting, but it's better than, than going to an inpatient hospital. Uh, and we have seen that shift in our area of medicine uh, to more outpatient procedures because of the pandemic. And net net, that's a positive, as long as, as, long as they're the right procedures. Obviously, if you have a um, complication, um, you want to make sure that's addressed and not be in a situation in an ambulatory center where you don't have the proper resources to address a complication. So those, those risk factors are always weighed carefully. And it, it, am I right that it is regional as well you're seeing better growth in the places where delta is not filling the hospitals that is 100% correct 100% um so you're right Florida Louisiana parts of the west have been hit um other parts of the country it's it's non-existent you know and California, it's not California Massachusetts yeah right right what a what, exactly. what, what a
1: insane state of affairs it's really <laughs> it is it's just nuts. Um, what well, so you, before the pandemic, you guys had pretty steady, Eddie, you know, high single digit growth year after year. What can you do to accelerate that?
0: Well, uh, that's the plan. And, you know, when I joined in April of last year, it was putting together a plan to drive consistent double digit growth. We've done really well getting high single digit growth. But I really view the company as having the ability to get double-digit growth. And that works two ways. One is is acquisitions. And we've done a couple of acquisitions this year um, and we'll continue to do that. And when we look at acquisitions, we look at things that will leverage our commercial channel. Um, So it's similar call points in orthopedics, but also ones that'll drive accretive growth. So these are products and technologies, medical devices that maybe are under-penetrated that we can then put in our hands and we can accelerate that growth to 15, 20, 30% growth. That complements our high single digit growth and then all of a sudden we're we're the whole business is growing at 13 or 14% versus eight or 9%. Uh, so that's the thesis. Uh, this extra, is something- Extra pamphlets into
1: the sales guy's suitcase. <laughs> exactly, um, and it's it a win for the
0: salespeople.
1: A, it seems to me that you also have to have a team inside that can manage acquisitions I, I did a panel many years ago with uh, some guys from Oracle, and i didn't i hadn't known or thought about this before but they had an internal team of essentially investment bankers that would review deals that came across the desk um, do a c- complex uh, market analysis financial analysis deal analysis and have an answer back to the potential company they might acquire within 24 to 48 hours which is a real which they which oracle saw as a real core competency they wanted to run a an acquisition process as fast as a Goldman Sachs or a Morgan Stanley. Um, is that also the kind of uh, capability you've got to add? Yes, not not
0: as significant Corey, as Oracle for sure, yeah. but we have a we they're have nuts. an. Inst- Don't just yeah. be clear. They're crazy. <laughs> yeah. I love them, but they're crazy. Yeah. We have a strong internal team, um, and we brought a guy on who came from investment banking originally and was at another medical device company before ours, and he's hit the ground running. We brought him in last year, and and he and a, a small team, and I get involved with this as well. We we really find key targets and we go after them. Um, you know the acquisition of BioNess, which we announced in March. We signed that term sheet on December 24th. Uh, so you're right; speed matters, and and we pride ourselves on being faster than our competition. When we find a deal that we like, we go after it, and and we're pretty aggressive and and trying to get it done.
1: Like to hear it. Ken Rialli is the CEO of Bioventus. Glad to have you on the show. Well, when Thanks the drill down continues, we're going to have the drill down bite that one number that tells us a whole lot. We talked about that steady growth this company has shown over the course of the last four years before the pandemic. What is that number? What is that percentage of revenue growth or compound annual growth rate over the prior four years? We'll
2: have that number when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era. A-I-E-R-A dot com. And The Drill Down is now available on Player FM. So if you go to the Player
1: FM website or at the Player FM app, you can click subscribe, and that way you won't miss a single episode of The Drill Down.
2: And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net.
1: We're back with the drill down. We've got the drill down bite. that one number that tells us a whole lot, that compound annual growth rate for BioVentus before the pandemic was, like I said, steady Eddie. Here's a number, Isaac. 7.4% year after year after year uh, was their average compound annual growth rate, which is nothing to be uh, shy of, but the notion that they can get that to double digits, if they get to 13, 14, that's twice the growth that they've had in years past Would be very strong for this company.
2: That would be a, a major boost. Or should I say booster?
1: Perhaps, perhaps, uh, as my knees a third booster. As I go up the stairs. Right? Triple uh, boost. Uh, again, a thank you to Ken Rielli, a, th- a Thank you also to uh, our listeners. We appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.